invite you to this episode of Good Theology, a podcast ministry to grow God's kingdom of faith, hope, and love. We cannot wait for someone else to do later what God has already called us to do here and now. To learn more, visit us online at goodtheology.life. Welcome to this episode of Good Theology. We actually don't have any questions this week, so we're going to go right ahead uh, and do what we normally do, center ourselves in our intentions. Our ears to hear you, our eyes to see you, our behavior to share you. Glory be to you, God, source of all being, incarnate word and Holy Spirit, as was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Now, uh, the scripture for this episode actually comes from the gospel according to Luke, uh, and it is Luke chapter 21, verses 34 to 36, and I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version uh, translation. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The Word of God for the people of God. What did Jesus mean uh, when he told us to guard our hearts against drunkenness and dissipation? Uh, dissipation, by the way, is the English word uh, that the translators of the NRSV Bible use for the Greek word krypale. Uh, and it's not a word that we hear often in conversation. So I actually had to look it up uh, just to double check its meaning. But but what dissipation and ultimately what uh, krypale means is that you're nauseously sick Except what causes you to be so ill uh, is in direct result of how debaucherously indulgent you were. It's a kind of illness that isn't yet a hangover because you're actually still hopped up on whatever it is that you're hopped up on. So it's not a sickness that comes while you have the ability to regret or to look back. There's no hindsight involved. There's no, there's no after effect. You're still in the midst of whatever it is. And so what makes verse 34 here so poignant is that Jesus says, guard your hearts against being weighed down by this kind of sickness. He doesn't say guard your conscience or guard your mind or guard your faith or even guard those other parts of you that bear logic or bear thoughtfulness. No, God says to protect your heart from this, this nausea and sickness that come while being drunk and overindulged. And he doesn't mean it as literal drunkenness because then he would have said brain or other part. He says heart. And so on the heels of this, of our lavish Thanksgiving festivities, as well as we head into these jubilant December parties and holiday shopping, we sort of set our sights, we set ourselves on the first week of Advent, right? Advent is a time of deliberate and meditative expectation. Christ's forewarning about mindfulness, it needs deeply an essential thing for us to hear. Don't let our hearts be altered by metaphorical intoxication and inebriation. And while I think Jesus would have always cautioned us against overindulging in alcohol and substances, that's not what he's talking about. Advent 
is a season about expectation, right? Well, actually, it's a season about three expectations or an expectation of three things. The first is the one that we always think of, which is the coming of the baby Jesus at Christmas. The other two are less widely known. One is Christ's second coming in glory. And the third is perhaps the most important for us. The third is the coming of Christ into our hearts. So I want to take a step back because I think it, it already feels like I'm a little bit all over the map, right? I'm talking about drunkenness. Now I'm talking about Advent. And what do they really have to do with each other and what, what's going on? Well, what's so beautiful about Christianity and Judaism, actually, um, both of them, is that they are at their faith's most core perspectives um, deeply concerned with the state of our hearts. The first commandment of Christ, which is the Shema Israel, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our might. And throughout scripture, you know, from King David's words in the Psalms to Christ's very admonishments in his Sermon on the Mount, you know, we think of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, um, that the state of our heart is paramount to God. But why? Why can't uh, we just do good things? Why does the why does the state of our heart matter so so much? Right. Well, there's something about what our heartstrings pull on, as to who we are in the world. That actually matters more than logic or even belief or anything else can muster. Um, it's there in our heart that the battle for who we are is fought. Ignatius, St. Ignatius of Loyola, founded his entire Jesuit order on the understanding that desire of our heart, that in our heart, that is the devil's primary aim. That if the devil's going to turn, if evil is going to corrupt and destroy this world of ours, it's going to start in our heart. In uh, the Marvel stories, right, Thanos' evil was actually first a drunken heartstring pulled by all of the starving children and war he saw around him. And it warped his, his heart to see so many in the universe going without. And so he destroyed half of all life everywhere so that the universe could start over with more resources, that there would be less people vying for resources. In Star Trek, Khan Noonien Singh wanted to protect his genetically enhanced people that were suffering. And his heart drunkenly wanted to rescue them. Unfortunately, that meant that everyone else had to be subjugated so that they couldn't turn on them. And in Star Wars, Darth Vader only turned to the dark side because he was trying to protect his love, Padme Amidala, from being harmed, and actually to protect the, the universe, the Republic, against corruption that he thought he was seeing. That drunkenness of heart allowed him to be turned into an, an instrument of destruction himself. And in Harry Potter, uh, 
uh, Lord Voldemort, well, I should say Tom Riddle, was so terrified of rejection and being powerless against the world that he chose to become Lord Voldemort. He chose domination and immortality, killing not only scores of innocents along the way, but very poignantly, part of his own soul. It's great how uh, Rowling, you know, in the Horcruxes, talks about how he destroyed part of himself into becoming Lord Voldemort. But maybe you are hoping for a less than fictitious example. Well, on January 6th of 2020, a thousand people so drunken on the idea that every voice mattered, that every person mattered, that they ignored the other millions of voices except for their own and stormed the Capitol building. And in 1938, the German hearts were so drunk with desire for greatness and to blame someone else for their ills that they destroyed Jewish homes and businesses. Now, I don't cite those two real-world examples lightly, but rather to be very clear that evil can manifest beyond fiction in the silver screen. Evil can drunkenly twist our hearts into very real events. The human heart, it floats on the waters of chaos, ready to drown. That's the original sin that we are burdened with. That, that, that is the sin that we must be ever mindful and present to. No one goes from normal person to terrorist overnight. It takes a pollution of the heart. It's that pollution of the heart, that drunkenness, that drunken sickness of the heart that God is so very concerned with. So what does Jesus tell us to do? How are we to protect ourselves? First, I think it's important to realize that Tom Riddle didn't become Lord Voldemort overnight. Anakin Skywalker didn't become Darth Vader overnight. It's small movements. I was listening to NPR the other day, and they were talking about how politicians have agendas that they need to get done before they break for the holidays, and that they are rushing to get them done. And, and as I heard this, I thought to myself, I don't think I've ever heard them say that they were rushing to work together. I don't, I don't think that it's ever been put that way, that the urgency was on the cooperation. That's a perfect example. Are your desires drunk on what you want rather than what you should be working towards? I talk a lot on this podcast about basic Christian tenets and introspection and getting back to basics is about what good theology is uh, and love God, love neighbor, do the work and, uh, you know, of and on yourself to be this, you know, the light on the hill that God calls us to be. There's no judgment particularly for someone like me who is not with you in conversation in the room, you know, in whatever space you're looking at. So I, you know, I'm, I'm never going to judge you is all I'm saying, right? In this desire for all of us to become better people, I, no one else are, is going to judge you. But, but I, in the midst of that safe space that I'm trying to sort of remind you of, I ask, are you looking in the mirror every morning again and again, you know, in the midday, in the evening, 
and asking yourself if you're being thoughtful and careful. The uh, attractiveness of the, quote, mindfulness movement is that... um, is that it's on everything from psychology to food nutrition, right? Uh, it's on sports. It's it's this idea that we've not been thoughtful for a long time, and that we're not being thoughtful in the things that we do, in the way that we eat, in the way that we at, re, that we react. Um, that things just happen to us, and that we um, react to them, and that we need to get back to a place that is more mindful. And. <laughs> What's interesting is that that's not a new concept. We may have forgotten it for a while, but that's actually a deeply Christian concept. Jesus' point in this scripture is so basic and so visceral. He wants his disciples, he wants us not to get caught up and be reactive to what's around us and lose our ways because of what we're caught up in. Right. He's not saying don't go drinking with your friends. He's not saying don't buy presents for Christmas. He's not saying don't have fun. But he is saying in the midst of all of those things, don't let the world confuse where your heart is supposed to be. Don't get so caught up in wanting to buy gifts for someone that you get frustrated about getting to the mall and all of the crowds and why isn't the sale the way that they said it would and all of those things when wasn't the whole point for you to just get something for someone else to enjoy? Where is your heart in the midst of the getting stuff for someone else? You know, I have a friend who who actually is so... (sighs) is so decided about not wanting to be stressed out about the, 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 the making Thanksgiving that they actually go on vacation for Thanksgiving every year. That's a wonderful idea. Now, I'm not saying we should all do it. I actually love making food for friends and family. Um, but it shouldn't be the thing that pollutes our heart. What Jesus is saying is that in the midst of all the world around us, remember not to let your heart become influenced by anything other than God. Because those non-God things will take what you care about, take what's good and great in the world and twist them until it's in the pursuit of things that you end up harming others and yourself. I, uh, I won't look it up because I think I would be very saddened to see the statistics. But I wonder what the cases of aggressive driving and uh, road rage and uh, just mean behavior are in the world during December. So how do you safeguard that? How do you safeguard against that? Well, long before the mindfulness movement, Jesus actually tells us. And it's right here in verse 36. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Seems weird, but it's true. Mindfulness is not some sole Eastern or foreign concept. It wasn't invented just by them, right? It is also a Christian wisdom. 
How often do you pray in the middle of your day to reset your heart? How often do you take in what's around you and ask, where is God here? This Advent season, I invite you to do the one thing that consumer culture does not ask of you. Slow down. Pray and be mindful of your heart. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Good Theology. To learn more, please find us online at goodtheology.life.